Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. If you are new to Glory Church, maybe stepping in for the first time, my name is Greg McKinney. Uh, my wife and I serve as the, the lead pastors here. We, we actually launched Glory Church a little over two years ago, and God has been really faithful, and it's been really exciting. Uh, I am, as a man, exhausted today. Uh, <laughs> I was able to do a wedding of someone that I knew when he was a fifth grader, and now he's like 26. And let me just tell you, he, he's changed a lot. He's got a big beard. Um, but I've gotten the opportunity to get to know him and his now bride over the past few months, and it's been really fun to do their premarital counseling, but I went and did a wedding, and I was a part of the whole thing, and that was, it was really good. But unlike normal, um, I didn't get to like, you know, duck in and duck out. I stayed for the whole ceremony and the reception. It was a lot of fun. But I got home at midnight. Well, actually like midnight 30, 1230 this morning. And I am a bit exhausted, but I am so excited because this morning we're starting Colossians, which I have been um, really excited to be able to say to you for like months. Colossians is one of my favorite books, uh, if not the, the most favorite book. I have favorite chapters of the Bible, but as a whole, those four chapters of this small little book, they're amazing. So we're going to dive into it, and I'm excited. I don't, we, we switch it up often. Sometimes we do sermon series that are more topical, and so we just came out of one. Uh, how do we actually live in our faith, move forward with Christ? And then this morning, we're starting a book study over Colossians. I'm excited, um, but I'm just going to give you sort of a preface because uh, I've told you this. If you want to read the Word of God in any moment, that's fine. But to understand the word of God, you can't just take what it says and then bring it instantly into you. That's like the worst way to read the scripture. Instead, we take what it says, we ask why it said that in their time, and then it makes this depth and beautiful transition into us, always. And so I'm just going to start it off like the, the people in, in Colossae, they, they were golden in their faith. They were so excited and eager. I mean, he, he will say in a minute, like, there has been people changed by you. Like, you, your faith is known. Like, you are, are, are bearing fruit, just like everywhere else, but you guys are bearing fruit. This church was growing. But I want to give you some preface because Paul, the author of it, uh, he actually wrote this letter at the same time that he wrote two other letters, the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippian church, and the book, the letter to the Ephesus church. And he, he is actually in prison while he's doing this. And so the interesting thing about this letter to any other letters is Paul doesn't know anyone in this church. Like, now I just want to set that in. Like, this is like someone who you do not know, who does not know you, writing a letter to you, and you're like, who does he to say these things? Like, that's that kind of thing. Like, he doesn't know anything about them other than what he hears. They have never met him, but now he's in prison. I mean, think about a, a guy in prison writing you a letter. Would you listen to it? Like, there's, think of that perception. So here he is, um, but a fun little story, Acts 19 talks about how Paul took two years off of traveling and he was teaching in Ephesus, a school. And many people believe that that's when he ran into a name that we will read soon, a name called Epaphras. That odds are, as 
Paul was teaching in Ephesus, Epaphras heard the gospel, was amazed by it, went back home to Colossae, however you want to say it. Some of you want to call it Colossae. I don't care. Colossae, Colossae. He went back home and the church blew up. And so now he got word that the man who led him to the Lord is in prison and he wants to go meet him. He wants to go visit him. And so he goes to prison. He gives him an update on how the church that, mind you, Paul's never been in, a city that he's never stepped foot in. He tells him how the church that he planted is going. It's like me going to Chris, one of our elders, uh, Grace River Church, who gave us an offering last week for our building, uh, which is really, really amazing. It's me going to him and telling him all about you guys and him deciding to write a letter for you. It's that kind of mentality. But what is happening and what I'm really excited about is uh, Colossians sort of tracks with Ephesians pretty well. It's the same core words, literally, you can, chapter one to chapter one, chapter two to two, uh, three and four to three, and it, it just it mirrors it very well. But one thing that is really cool that maybe you'll like, I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to this, um, he uses words in this that are never used in scripture. In fact, like he uses words because what was being um, infected, I would say, in this church was a whole lot of uh, Greek philosophy, a whole lot of ideologies, a whole lot of culture. And so Paul says, I will be like a Greek to the Greeks. And so he uses cultural phrases. And instead of pointing them to like uh, their own source of power, he points them each time to Christ. And so as you read this, like it's, some of the things are weird. There's like, it'll say the elemental powers of the universe. And you're like, what am I reading? It's Paul. He's using their terminology and saying, instead of the elemental powers of the universe that you think will give you all insight and knowledge and power to, to make your own claim, they submit unto the Lord. They submit under Jesus. And so it, he uses it. So you'll see that it sounds really crazy, but I am excited. Because Paul gets word that this church is growing, they're loving, they're leading well, but he also gets word, and he'll, he'll say this in the thing, he, he gets word that they have been embedded, uh, woven in with what he will call philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition. Like, that's literally what he says. He says, you've been filled with philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition. And this is what I'm excited for, because we like to say, no, my, my faith in Jesus has not been inundated with philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, it has. Culture loves to take Jesus and add a lot into it, too. And so that's what I'm really excited for, because Colossians, like Paul is handing them this weight that is actually not very heavy if they would just accept it. But it's a truth bomb. And it's powerful if we actually dive into it. They were buying into the teachings of the world. They were essentially teaching like two different languages in their church. They were teaching the language, the economy of the world, as well as the language and the economy of like the kingdom. And it, people were confused. They're like, so we can do this, but not do that. But then in this situation, we can do this. But who is God? And they were teaching this idea that was not bring, it was bringing, bringing people to happiness, but not to faith. It was a church full of real believers like you who are doing real life ministry, but we're not leading people to the Lord. I just want that I said, how, how often have you led someone to the Lord? Right? Like 
So it's full of real life believers who've given their life to the Savior who do not have the fruit of salvation coming from them to anyone else around them because they're struggling to teach Jesus. So though they have him, what they speak is Jesus and some. And so people, it's muddying the waters and people are getting confused. I'm excited for this. Because what needs to happen then is our church needs to take our faith and let it be multiplied, right? And it's not my job to lead everyone to the Lord. It's my job to equip the saints to do the work of ministry that you may preach in and out of this place. You may speak Christ and Christ crucified. And so I'm, I'm really excited, uh, but they were speaking uh, some empty deceit. And so honestly, it didn't word it here, but in Colossians, Paul will combat two heresies. And I know that's a, like a big word. Ooh, what's that word? A heresy is anything that teaches an idea of the Lord, but misses the nature of the Lord. It's anything that teaches the idea of a God, but misses the nature and key truths of what that God actually did. And many times they fall short in the person of Jesus because the worldly wisdom, I mean, it's foolishness to man that a, a, a man was fully God and fully human and he came from a virgin, it just, that's, that doesn't make sense. And so worldly wisdom will always bring a heresy in. And so there are two quick ones and I'm, I'm gonna explain the heresies and then we're gonna dive into it because I think you're gonna need to know these heresies that are, are finding themselves in because honestly, they find themselves into our church as well into the modern day church as well. These are not heresies often taught by men. Like it's not like, it's not like Dalton's up here teaching a heresy. It's not like other people are teaching. It's often a slight lure in the belief of an individual that they begin to change their attitude towards something. That they begin to change how they verbalize the gospel and soon enough a heresy is taking root in a church. It's very sly. And so that's what I'm really excited because it's not like you're losing your faith because of this heresy, but it is you are not teaching the faith because of this heresy. Does that make sense? You're not speaking the gospel as clear. So I'm excited. There are two different heretical beliefs in this church. One was Judaizing Christians. Uh, so I'm going to give you a little teacher-esque, and then we're going to move to preacher, Greg. All right, that we'll have that little transition happen. Um, Judaizing Christians are with the zealots. And they found home, respite in the church in Colossians. Like the Colossian church welcomed them in. People were understanding they loved Christ, but they thought that Christ's cross was not sufficient for their sins. So they still needed to do all those practices that they used to. So they were assigning like uh, moon festivals that they needed to attend to so they could worship the Lord instead of another God. Like we have to transform everything into him or we lose it. And so they, they, they did everything. I mean, there was this, uh, I don't want to go too far. There was so much doctrine in the Old Testament that they did not believe that Jesus fulfilled it. And so they brought this whole host of practices. Uh, they, were, they were telling people that you, you got to do more. Actually, they were telling like, hey, the reason your marriage is struggling, the reason your faith is doubting, the reason you keep giving into those addictions, the reason why you keep doubting, the reason you're up all at night with those nightmares, it's because you're missing the mark. You're not doing enough. 
This is what there are, there are prayers that you can come to every day, but you're not doing it. And so that's why your marriage is failing. And so they're assigning attributes that you could do that would give you the freedom that you so wanted. The heresy is Jesus gave me the freedom that I so wanted, right? The heresy is that now I need Jesus and this to be free. I just need Jesus. And so this, it keeps happening. Like literally the, the list went on and on. You're not buying the right things. You're not completing the right prayers. You're not showing up to the right festivals. All of those things. Your faith is shaky because you're missing out. You're, you're not enough. It was God plus good works equal everlasting life. And so that was in on it. It was in literally, he will say in Colossians uh, 2.16, like don't let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or observing festivals, new moons or Sabbaths. It does not matter what you do if you do not have faith in Christ. Stop letting people condemn you because you're eating a certain thing. That's not gonna bring you closer to him. And so there was this, it was a whole lot. So there was, yes, uh, I, I do, do want to be a little, a little bit direct. The reason your marriage is struggling is not because there's not things that you're doing. It all falls back. And what Paul will say is to our inability to submit to the sufficiency of Christ. So the reason your faith is shaky is because you have areas of your heart that you don't want to submit to the sufficiency, the reign of Christ. The reason why you keep having the nightmares, the reason you go back to the addiction is because you have not submitted that to the reign and the authority of Christ. Now you can combat me all you want, but I live in freedom because I keep saying, Jesus, take this. Jesus, take this. And that's the only way that you can be free. So Paul is saying, he is the image of the invisible God. All authority and power and might is his, not something you can gain from doing it, but his. And so the second one, uh, the second <laughs> heresy is a little fun one. Um, I think this one is in our modern American church a whole lot. We don't like to call it this, but it was later called the name Gnosticism. Um, Gnosticism, it is the active belief that in order for me to answer the deep and abiding questions that are plaguing my life, why does death happen? Why did my mom have to suffer to cancer? Why does this, this crap keep happening in life? Why, do no, why does no one care about the less fortunate? Why does this have, why is racism there? It takes the deep, deep pains of life and says the answer to it is more understanding. The reason you're missing it is because you don't know enough. And if you could grasp the ideas of everyone and form it together so that you can make correct decisions, then you could change your behavior. And let's start with you. Gnosticism is this, this, this pull to, I need to know myself so that I can control my emotions. Sounds good, right? I need to know my personality. The Enneagram can get into Gnosticism sometimes. Why? Because you're not a nine. You're a follower of Christ. Some of you are like, what is he saying? You're not a three. Because Christ died to overcome the fact that you're a workaholic. So stop living in that personality. Like, so I get, I mean, we, Gnosticism says the more I understand me, then I can rule and reign me. And it's not, I don't reign any crap. Like I, he does. He does. So Gnosticism was the more you pursue, the more you understand. It's a quintessential self-help book. The pursuit of higher knowledge 
the desire to look at the stars to give me answers, the, the, the praying to angels, which were, was happening, the I need to learn more, sometimes Googling instead of praying can be a form of Gnosticism. Like, it can. Sometimes Googling and desiring to know everything about every problem can be a form of Gnosticism because you begin to think that you will be enough if you just know. And Christ said, I made you enough. So I'm excited. Woo! Gnosticism is God, the creator, plus personal knowledge equals life everlasting. And the interesting thing is the world is full of this. Uh, bigots, right, are the people who don't know anything. So in order for me to not be a bigot, I need to gain understanding so that I can love, right? In order for me to not be ignorant in my conversations with people, I need to gain an understanding and then I will gain love. Except what happens in the world is you gain understanding and then you start looking at judgment onto the people who don't have understanding. Whereas Christ says, I've given you the knowledge of my will. I don't have to understand the depths of the universe because I have the God who does that. Like, and so in any instance, he gives me everything I need. Now, do, do, I, do I study culture and get to know people? Yes. But do I do that so I can love them? No. Christ has given me the ability to love them. And I do it so I can speak to the Greeks. I became a Greek so I could win the Greeks. But it's not so that I can be better. It's not so I can be better. And so he will say again, like right in chapter 2. I didn't want to spend too much time in chapter 2 because we're in chapter one today, but he will say, do not let anyone disqualify you insisting on self-abasement or the worship of angels or dwelling on visions puffed up with a human way of thinking and not holding fast to the head. That is Christ. Now I'll tell you, um, Gnosticism will sometimes say, hey, uh, you're struggling with doubts because you, uh, you need a more positive attitude. And you need a, a positive thing. Literally, there's a higher, pow higher power of positive thinking that you need to learn. So develop the correct thinking pattern so that you can deal with your fear. No, develop a better relationship with the Son of God so that you can hand him your fear. Right? Did you see the sly little difference? He will teach you how to think. He will help you ca capture your thoughts and submit them to the Lord. I don't do that. I don't do that. He, he, another Gnosticism lie is there is a, a standing firm that you can do on the foundation of self-awareness. Or there is a coming to terms with who you want to be, and that's how you get there. No, I come to terms with who Christ was, and he molds me in his image. You see the subtle lie? And so what we end up doing is those who are Christ followers begin to speak these things in a counseling session with a best friend. Well, you just need to be positive, more positive in your thinking. You get, you get stuck in that trap. I understand that's good. How about we fill their mind with things from above, with heavenly things, scripture. That's what Paul will say in Colossians. And so the, both of these heresies speak the way of Jesus being one way to the hope of heaven, but it's uh, this, it's Jesus plus whatever equals completion. Jesus plus whatever. 
Jesus plus whatever. And so I'm excited to get into this uh, a little bit. So if you have your books, uh, your Bibles, your apps, we're going to open up to chapter one um, of Colossians, and we're just going to be reading the first 15 verses. Jesus plus whatever equals completion. That's what these people ended up believing. And this is why Paul is writing this to them. So if you open up to chapter one of Colossians, verse one, It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Like, I just want you to take mental note of how many times Paul will use the word Jesus in this section. It's like, hey, just so you know, Jesus again. Oh, by the way, like a Jesus. Uh, By the way, it was God, but Jesus. He will keep saying it because the people need to realize Jesus was the answer. And so he continues, to all the saints, the faithful brothers in Christ, the brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father in all our prayers for you. We are always thanking God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. And he continues, just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, it has been growing in you, bearing fruit among yourselves from the first day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras. This you learned from my brother Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he's made known to me, to us in prison, Paul and Timothy, all of your love in the spirit for this reason. Since he's told me all about you, I have not ceased praying for you. Now, what he and Timothy were praying for is, is a big deal. So you could pray anything over anyone. Sometimes when people say, can you pray for me? I'm like, do you really want me to? And I've learned this, like, uh, especially, so we have, our offices are along Trista Avenue, and there's some people who just want to come in and ask for prayer. Please do, do it. But you know, sometimes people ask for prayer with the intention that, like, you're going to pray to the God of the universe, and then he's going to give them exactly what they want, because that's literally every person comes in. And I'm like, I'll pray for you. Are you, are you okay for me to take the reins of the prayer. Like, I'm just going to pray. Uh, are you okay with that? Paul knowing these people, Paul knowing what they are facing, Paul knowing that they have Christ but are communicating eh, an, a, a, a version of the gospel, praise this. That's why I needed to prep you with, with the, the heresies that were coming. Because this prayer is different than other prayers that Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, to the Philippians, Because he writes it thinking of them. And so I'm excited to read this. He he goes in and he says, uh, well, I'll wait. He knew, sorry, I was going to miss a slide for you. He knew that one of the greatest threats of a growing church that has loud faith, right? Epaphras said, these people are loud in their faith. They love Jesus. He knew that the greatest threats to a growing church that has a loud faith and the love of others. I mean, he says, Epaphras has told us of your love for one another. He knew it was the doctrine of, but now you need more. Now, I just want to sit in this a little bit before we pray over it, because this is what he's praying against. 
There is a doctrine that sits into our church as we get comfortable with one another. There's a doctrine that sits into the church as you start loving others around you, that you, you, you believe in Christ. There's a subtle lie that when you are in a bad place, the reason you're stuck there is because you're missing something. You need more. And so the world will prescribe it. It's the doctrine of, and this might go a little fast for you, it's the doctrine of you are not doing enough. Anyone ever feel like that? You look at people in the faith who are growing in their faith and you don't feel like you're, you're equal and the lie begins to set in that you're not doing enough. There's good things that you should be doing, but you're not doing, so you must be bad. It's a subtle lie. Paul knew the doctrine that will ruin the growth of a beautiful church is the lie that you're not good enough. Another one is, hey, good things are happening, but you're missing something still. Or the doctrine of, hey, you're not as complete as you should be. Anyone ever feel like that? You're not as complete as you should be. You're still messed up. That's a doctrine that the, uh, that the Judaizers would be like, well, here's why. Because you're not doing this, that, that, or that, or that. Uh, this, that, or that. And then the Gnostics would be like, because you don't understand yourself. You don't understand yourself. And that's why you're not as complete as you should be. But another one, the, the heresy that could be fed is the reason you're not able, uh, there's a reason that you're not able to do what they can. They may be able to like stand with a, a, a death, but you can't. They may be able to handle that with faith, but why can't you? It's this doctrine that there's a reason why you can't do what they can do. That's a lie. We've been made able to. And the last one, some of you, you are here. It's a subtle lie that you don't deserve from others what you give yet. So you have to be good enough for it. Literally, in a church that is loving one another, how quick can the person loving another not welcome the love of Christ for themselves? That is what is happening in this church. As you strive to love someone else, you feel empty inside. Because the lie is that you don't deserve what you hand out to others. So you'll just keep doing the good deeds. You'll just keep doing the good. That's a heresy. That is wrong. So Paul prays this prayer. He says in verse 9, For this reason, since the day that we heard of your love, of the fruit, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all all spiritual wisdom and an understanding. It's an interesting that the first thing that he prays for is knowledge, even though that's what they think is what higher learning would be, is knowledge. But it's interesting, instead of saying knowledge of you, knowledge of the culture, knowledge of the things that are wrong, it's knowledge of God's will. Like, let's take off every other pursuit of knowledge if I don't know him. So my prayer is, not that you know, come to know how you could be better, what you're missing. I want you to come to know him. I want you to come to know the knowledge of his will. And the word spiritual there, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we dove into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the spiritual gifts, where Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about the spiritual gifts. That word is the pneumaticos. That's what this is. I'm praying that you are filled with the knowledge of God's will so that you may have spiritual wisdom, that you may have the spiritual gifts of wisdom flowing in your church. 
It's the ability to take the word of God and actually apply it. In other words, you guys think you know him, but you do not know his word. So there's no wisdom flowing through. So he's praying that you would know God's will so that you could speak his word, wisdom. The church would be struggling without it. And Paul knew that. They're loving, but they're not doing much in the word. They're not doing much in the word. It's interesting though, like often we miss what we already have access to. We miss out on what we already have access to. The father says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. You don't need to go to the heights in your studies to gain wisdom. You don't need to go down and implore on, your, on, on, on the ground and your hands and knees uh, looking for wisdom. You just go to the father who graciously gives it. God, I need wisdom. I need help. This is what he's praying for. And it continues though. Uh, he says, so that the reason I want you to know God's will is so that you will lead a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. Can I just tell you right here, why do you want to know what God's will? So that you can lead lives worthy of him, fully pleasing to him. Some of you get stuck on this and it's because the lie that we believe. The good things you're doing is not to please the Lord. The good things you're doing is so that you can please man and finally seem good enough to others. How often do we do that? That we have this desire to be seen as enough. I wrote a few things down, like as the church grows, like very practically, the desire to uh, please you guys grows in me too, right? Like think about how scary that is. That's why pastors fail is because the natural thing is when more people get there, now there's more people that I have to deal with and the lure comes where like I need to lead a life worthy of the Lord so that I am fully pleasing to man. And that's where we are at sometimes. I will read my Bible so that I can please my friends. So I'm not struggling, so that I can have the smile, so that I can be, uh, you know, have an attractive outlook. I can be happy, so I can be pleasing to man. No, we're praying that we know the will of the Father so that I lead a life worthy of him to please him only. Now, this has been hard for me because uh, I, when I moved here, I could care less. <laughs> this is bad. I could care less what you guys thought of me, but I cared a lot about the other pastors, the other people of authority in the city, and I was so insecure when we first moved here. Like I planted it. I'm, we're planning a church. Where are you planning a church at? In the inner city. And I, I didn't, when I was with you, I was, I was confident. But with other leaders, I would be so insecure. And I discovered that this, there was this desire to please them. To feel like I had, I was enough. That I had a name. That, I, that, I, that like I, I was good enough to keep going. And God just did this subtle shift in me. Greg, you know my word. You know my wisdom. Stop doing what you think will make them happy if it's at the expense of the people you're serving. So very quickly, I had to say, I'm going to teach this. and I'm going to do what I feel like the Lord has called us to do. And I'm going to trust that the spirit that is in me is in them. I might displease their flesh, but I will please the spirit. 
Does that make sense? Like, and I think that's what we have to start thinking. If we're going to lead lives worthy of the Lord, you're going to have to realize like, you may displease the flesh of a friend as you actually live with righteousness, but you will please the spirit. And sometimes like, that's, that's where I'm at often. I, I will lay down a hard truth and not really care what you think because I care what the spirit of God in you thinks and he's going to use it. And it's hard, but I'm going to believe it. So he's praying like, as you bear fruit then and good works and grow in the knowledge of him fully pleasing. You see, the pursuit of man was a Judaizing pursuit. Here's a set list of requirements that you must meet in order to worship here. Some of you, you will not come to church until your life is back together. And then we don't see you for months on end because you're in a hard place. That's a Judaizing pursuit. Then you begin to think Jesus will only accept you when you are good. At the, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. He died for you when you weren't good. He already, he already did it. He already did it. That is a Judaizing pursuit to say, I will be in something when I'm clean, and then I will be away in the darkness, in the shadows when I'm filthy. And then I will pursue all the good things here so that I can be welcomed back there. That is the best way to take the faith of Christ in you and show it to no one. <laughs> it is. We need to see you wrestling in the sin, finding victory in him together. That is what communicates the gospel. That is what communicates the gospel. Jesus ate. He gave communion, the Lord's Supper. If you remember, to the betrayer, too. The betrayer didn't have to decide not to betray in order to get communion. The betrayer didn't have to decide to be good in order for Jesus to touch his feet. We got to stop the thinking. It's such a Judaizing pursuit that we have to be pleasing in order to come. I please him. I please him. So he continues, though, enoughness. I, I wrote this down, and I just, I start it, so I need to say this. If you're doing something in your day, if you're doing something in your week, if you're doing something with your career, if you're doing something with your relationships, if you're doing something in your faith so that you may be finally labeled as enough, pause, pause, because that may be an action formed from a heretical belief than of what the Spirit is leading you to do. If you're doing something, I'm going to say it again, that is so that you can be, finally be seen as enough. Some of you, your, your working out has become a Judaizing pursuit, a heresy, because you're doing it so that you can be seen finally as enough. And Jesus said, I've made you able. Some of you it's the career. After I get there, I will finally be enough. That's what they were teaching. If you're doing it, pause. It might be a heretical belief. And so then he continues. He prays, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the life. Like, you know, guys, I love the Greek words right here. May you be made strong. Paul is praying, literally, may in everything you be made able. 
capable. You, you, you need capability? Stop going to Google. Go to him. You, may you be made able. If you need ability and how to love your wife, go to him. If you need ability on how to numb your fears, go to him. If you need ability or help with an addiction, you go to him. May you be made able with all the strength, the power. This is the word dunamis. This is the word from dynamite. This is spiritual power that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared. Now, glorious power is the uh, might, the splendor of his authority. That's really what it means. The splendor of his authority. So I'm going to flesh this out a bit. I was driving down to Arkansas this weekend, and maybe you don't know this about me because I teach on stage. I'm an introvert to the max. Like, I don't like large crowds of people. I definitely struggle to meet people that are new to me. And I also feel the anxiety of all of their expectations. There is a a room full of people. See, the best thing about church is you guys came expecting the pastor to be up here. Think about a wedding. They come looking for the bride, and then there's the pastor that's there. And then the, and there's a different, they didn't come to hear me talk about Jesus. But, but I'm going to do it. You know, like, I'm going to do it. And so it's just like, I already then have the anxiety of, like, I have to talk with people. I have to do small talk, which, if you know me, I'm, I'm bad. And I have been reading this, and on the drive there, I was like, God, my ability comes from all the power that is found in your domain, in your realm, in your authority. The fact that I have been, what he will say soon, brought from the kingdom of darkness into light. God, as I'm driving, I made this cognitive prayer. God, as I'm driving right now, I walk in your authority. I have been made able to talk to these people that I've never met and I don't really want to talk to, but I've been made able and strengthened by your glorious power, the splendor of your authority. And it changed the whole outlook of the wedding. And I'm not even, not even I will tell the stories later, but faith conversation after faith conversation after faith conversation after the Holy Spirit telling me to one girl, hey, you blame yourself for everything and you don't know the love of God. And I'm like, what am I saying? Where is this at? And it, she's the sound woman in the back. Like, and, and then I, I said, I feel like the Lord has given me a word for you. So I say it, she starts crying and then they're like, hey, the wedding's starting. You need to go up there. I'm like, we'll be back. I'll be back. And I'm like, what is this? And then all, I, I just, all the, all the adults, all the, the family coming and just like getting the opportunity to pray with people. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, do they have this sign that says, talk to me? I will pray for you. Uh, like, I will carry your burdens. But I was like, God, if I did not pray that, like, if I did not step into this place knowing that I'm going forward, I would have not been prepared to endure this with patience. Because at a wedding, there's alcohol, and some alcoholic people are really hard to be around, and I need to endure this with patience. And I just, like, changed the whole perspective, because as I go, as we go, we don't do things to be made enough. We don't do things so that we can understand and then elevate to the heights. No, we do things because he's made us able. And in all that, like, there is power when we just sit and believe that Christ is, is, is redeemed. He is, he's, he's the king. 
And so he continues, he says, the Father has enabled you to share in the saints of the light, and he has rescued you, rescued us from the power of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So I got set at a table um, for the reception, and uh, there was a guy next to me, and I was like, oh, I just felt it the moment I sat down. And I, this is like, you know, sound girl already talked to, you know, all of these other people who stopped me. I'm like, I'm just trying to get water. Like, can I just go get water? I sat down and he's like, so what made you want to be a pastor? And so we started the conversation. I found out rather quickly, I didn't, uh, I'm like asking God the whole time. Like I've, I've, I've told the story of why we planted a church in Kansas City so many times. I have two different versions. All right, the believers in the room will understand. I have the version that I, te- to, that I speak to the non-believers and I have a version that I speak to the, the, the Christ followers because some words just don't make sense, right? Some reasons, like I decided to move my whole family to plant a church for a God that I serve and I follow, which is true. And I say that, but when I speak it to Christians, I like I do the elaborate, like this is what he's teaching me, this is where it's been. So I, I was like, God, how do I speak this? What is the words that I need to use? And I just kept feeling like the Lord was like, be as specific as possible. And so I was very specific. Jesus led me. And I kept saying the word Jesus. And every time I did, I saw this like tick in his face, like Jesus, Jesus. And it turned out the brother is so exhausted because he's the only one in all of the city who, in his mind, is caring for the less fortunate, the homeless. And he was quizzing me on if we were a church that actually did things. And the whole time I was like, where is his anger at? Like, I'm trying to, like, discuss, like, I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like, what are you speaking? And I found out very quickly there was this wrong belief in him that God is calling him to love, but only him to do it. There was this disconnect from anything of God. And as I was saying, he had a hard time with Jesus. He had a hard time with the word of God. And as we're talking, he's just getting more and more like frustrated with me. And I'm like, brother, we're just talking. But he's like, but how do you? And I'm like, because. He says, how do you know that heaven is real? And I was like, because I have been brought from the, the kingdom of darkness, like the realm of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's like, well, how do you know that you'll go to heaven when you die? I was like, because I'm in heaven now. Like, I see things differently. Like, I'm in the kingdom of God. And he goes, that just doesn't, doesn't make sense. Like, I, I've given my life to Jesus. Well, Jesus isn't God. And I was like, but he is God. He's not deity. And, he, and it was just, it was, it was rough. But what I found, unless you actively choose to call Jesus the Lord and submit unto the person of Jesus, what you will present to people will be a good modeled attitude, a happy face, a smiling good works, a a desire to help people, an understanding of culture, but you won't present people with hope. Because hope is found in the name of Jesus. And he kept just saying, well, why does it have to be the name of Jesus? I said, because the name of Jesus was elevated. It was raised. When I say Jesus, people, people change. It's a reacting. And I asked him, I said, 
the deity, because he liked the word deity, the deity that you follow. Have you ever asked the deity if the deity is the Jesus of the Bible? And he goes, no, why do I? I was like, because you're claiming that we follow the same God, but I have hope and you have frustration. Like, I have peace and you just keep blaming people for all of the problems. I have love and you have this version of love that the moment I ask you a question, you want to be sassy back to me. And I'm like, where is this coming? I'm so blunt, like to this guy. And the table was like really bored with us. They're gone. They're d- and I look up and people are dancing. They've already had their first dance. They've already cut the cake. I'm like, I've missed everything. Uh, this is, but as we end, I fully believe that there are people in this place that have submitted yourself under a nameless deity, trying to do all the good works under that nameless deity. You're trying to get understanding so that you can better know yourself, so that you can please this nameless deity. But the Father showed his love in us in this way, that while we were still sinners, he sent his son to die that he hung on a cross bearing all of the things that you want to get better at, bearing all of the fears that you are plagued by, that you just try to put by, every bit of it, and he bore it on the cross and three days later defeated it. We cannot stand by any other power. He said, I've seen healings. And I said, by what power? He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, I know Jesus. And it's just not clicking I will tell you, you can be a part of Glory Church and sit all you want. But if you don't know Jesus, then you will always feel like you're on the outside of something that is hopeful, of something that is joyous. This is not something we do alone. I think that the Gnosticism and Judaizing Christianity, the number one tell of if that heresy has come into our life is because you are more connected with yourself than you are his people and him. Like that, that's, he says, you will know my disciples by their love for one another. These heresies come in as you are in tune with you. I need to strive for me. And all while you do that, you miss out on the body the head, that you, you know, the body is connected to the head, Jesus. And so I'm just going to pray. Father, in this place, there are people for the first time who are hearing your word and are realizing, like, I'm just going to put it plainly. They're realizing that they have served or worshiped or sung to a deity, but have never actually claimed you as their savior, Jesus. They will not unite their life to you. You say so boldly, no one can come to the Father, the Creator God, except through me. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. So Father, forgive us for all the heresies we've accidentally communicated by telling people a whole set list of things they need to do instead of connecting them with you. Forgive us for every time we've, we've tried to just ascribe more understanding to people instead of just going to your word. I feel very vividly there's a person in this room that is so angry 
their mantra is, if God is real, if God is real, then I must be the only one trying to do the right thing to please him. Because there's all these bad things. There's these hypocrites. There's these other people. Where's the love? And you don't realize that your life is not loving at all. You point a finger, but you don't have any hope yourself. So friend, if that is you, can I just tell you there is a savior who, yes, cares about the world, but he desires to make people right. That we may be peacemakers. You're wanting to be a peacemaker, but you're spreading more pain than peace. You think that you are a God server, but you've isolated yourself from the body and it turns out you don't eat, you're not even wed to the son. You're not even a bride of Christ. If you have the opportunity to say Jesus for the first time, I want to believe that you are real. See, I asked this guy who I sat with, what is your relationship with deity? And one thing that he could not say was that he's my friend, he's my savior. He's my everything. Deity was a distant thing that he just lived to please. I know a son who died. A savior who died. So it's really simple. You can say, Jesus, I've done it all on my own for far too long. I have asked God the Father to forgive me for my sins for far too long, but I've never connected my sins to the cross. So I've thought I still need to sacrifice everything to make it right. So Jesus, will you save me? I want to be buried with you in your death that I might find life Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.